Section 19 of the Reconciliation of Races and Religions by Thomas Kelly Chain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Part 4 Biographical and Historical Ambassador to Humanity. After the loss of his father, the greatest trouble which befell the authorized successor was the attempt made independently by Subhi Azal and the half-brother of Abdul Baha, Mirza Muhammad Ali, to produce a schism in the community at Akka. Some little success was obtained by the latter, who did not shrink from the manipulation of written documents. Badiola, another half-brother, was for a time seduced by these dishonest proceedings, but has since made a full confession of his error, sea star of the west it is indeed difficult to imagine how an intimate of the saintly abdul baha can have lifted up his foot against him the more so as abdul baha would never defend himself but walked straight forward on the appointed path that path must have differed somewhat as the years advanced his public addresses prove that through this or that channel he had imbibed something of humanistic and even scientific culture. He was a much more complete man than St. Francis of Assisi, who despised human knowledge. It is true he interpreted any facts which he gathered in the light of revealed religious truth, but he distinctly recognized the right of scientific research and must have had someone to guide him in the tracks of modern inquiry. The death of his father must have made a great difference to him in the disposal of his time. It is to this second period of his life that Mr. Phelps refers when he makes this statement, quote, His general order for the day is prayers and tea at sunrise, and dictating letters or tablets, receiving visitors, and giving alms to the poor until dinner in the middle of the day. After this meal, he takes a half-hour siesta, spends the afternoon in making visits to the sick and others whom he has occasion to see about the city, and the evening in talking to the believers or in expounding to any who wish to hear him the Qur'an, on which, even among Muslims, he is reputed to be one of the highest authorities, learned men of that faith frequently coming from great distances to consult him with regard to its interpretation he then returns to his house and works until about one o'clock over his correspondence this is enormous and would more than occupy his entire time did he read and reply to all his letters personally as he finds it impossible to do this but is nevertheless determined that they shall all receive careful and impartial attention, he has recourse to the assistance of his daughter, Ruha, upon whose intelligence and conscientious devotion to the work he can rely. During the day she reads and makes digests of letters received, which she submits to him at night. End quote. In his charities... He is absolutely impartial. His love is like the divine love, 
it knows no bounds or nation or creed most of those who benefit by his presence are of course muslims many true stories are current amongst his family and intimate friends respecting them thus there is the story of the afghan who for twenty-four years received the bounty of the good master and greeted him with abusive speeches in the twenty-fifth year however his obstinacy broke many american and english guests have been entertained in the master's house sometimes even he has devoted a part of his scanty leisure to instructing them we must remember however that of bahaism as well as of true christianity it may be said that it is not a dogmatic system but a life no one so far as my observation reaches has lived the perfect life like abdul baha and he tells us himself that he is but the reflection of baha'u'llah we need not therefore trouble ourselves unduly about the opinions of god's heroes both father and son in the present case have consistently discouraged metaphysics and theosophy except i presume for such persons as have had an innate turn for this subject once more the love of god and the love of humanity which abdul baha boldly says is the love of god is the only thing that greatly matters and if he favours either half of humanity in preference to the other it is women folk he has a great repugnance to the institution of polygamy and has persistently refused to take a second wife himself though he has only daughters baha'u'llah as we have seen acted differently apparently he did not consider that the islamic peoples were quite ripe for monogamy but surely he did not choose the better part as the history of bahaism sufficiently shows at any rate the centre of the covenant has now spoken with no uncertain sound as we have seen the two schismatic enterprises affected the sensitive nature of the true centre of the covenant most painfully one thinks of a well-known passage in a hebrew psalm but he was more than compensated by several most encouraging events the first was the larger scale on which accessions took place to the body of believers from england to the united states from india to california in surprising numbers streams of enthusiastic adherents poured in it was however for russia that the high honour was reserved of the erection of the first bahai temple to this the russian government was entirely favourable because the bahais were strictly forbidden by baha'u'llah and by abdul baha to take part in any revolutionary enterprises the temple took some years to build but was finished at last and two persian workmen deserve the chief praise for willing self-sacrifice in the building the example thus set will soon be followed by our kinsfolk in the united states a large and beautiful site on the shores of lake michigan has been acquired and the construction will speedily be proceeded with it is in fact the outward sign of a new era 
if baha'u'llah be our guide all religions are essentially one and the same and all human societies are linked by a covenant of brotherhood of this the bahai temples be they few or be they many are the symbols no wonder that abdul baha is encouraged and consoled thereby and yet i as a member of a great worldwide historic church cannot help feeling that our mostly ancient and beautiful abbeys and cathedrals are finer symbols of union in god than any which our modern builders can provide our london people without distinction of sect find a spiritual home in st paul's cathedral though this is no part of our ancient inheritance another comfort was the creation of a mausoleum on the site of mount carmel above haifa to receive the sacred remains of the bab and of baha'u'llah and in the appointed time also of abdul baha footnote see the description given by thornton chase in galilee pages sixty four f End footnote. this too must be not only a comfort to the master but an attestation for all time of the continuous development of the modern social religion it is this sense of historic continuity in which the baha'is appear to me somewhat deficient they seem to want a calendar of saints in the manner of the positivist calendar baha'i teaching will then escape the danger of being not quite conscious enough of its debt to the past for we have to reconcile not only divergent races and religions but also antiquity and if i may use the word modernity i may mention that the beloved master has deigned to call me by a new name footnote spiritual philosopher and footnote he will bear with me if i venture to interpret that name in a sense favourable to the claims of history the day is not far off when the details of abdul baha's missionary journeys will be admitted to be of historic importance how gentle and wise he was hundreds could testify from personal knowledge and i too could perhaps say something i will only however give here the outward framework of abdul baha's life and of his apostolic journeys with the help of my friend lot i may say that it is with deference to this friend that in naming the bahai leaders i use the capital h he his him abdul baha was born on the same night in which his holiness the bab declared his mission on may twenty third a d eighteen forty four the master however eager for the glory of the forerunner wishes that that day that is may twenty third be kept sacred for the declaration of his holiness the bab and has appointed another day to be kept by baha'is as the feast of appointment of the centre of the covenant november twenty sixth it should be mentioned that the great office and dignity of centre of the covenant was conferred on abdul baha abbas effendi by his father it will be in the memory of most that the master was retained a prisoner under the turkish government at akka until september nineteen o eight 
when the doors of his prison were opened by the young Turks. After this he stayed in Akka and Haifa for some time, and then went to Egypt, where he sojourned for about two years. He then began his great European journey. He first visited London. On his way thither, he spent some few weeks in Geneva. Footnote, Mr. H. Holly has given a classic description of Abdu'l-Bahá, whom he met at Tonon on the shores of Lake Leman, in his Modern Social Religion, Appendix 1. End footnote. On Monday, September 3rd, 1911, he arrived in London. The great city was honoured by a visit of 26 days. During his stay in London, he made a visit, one afternoon, to Vanners in Byfleet, on September 9th, where he spoke to a number of working women. He also made a weekend visit to Clifton, Bristol, from September 23rd, 1911, to September 25th. On September 29th, 1911, he started from London and went to Paris, and stayed there for about two months, and from there he went to Alexandria. His second journey consumed much time, but the fragrance of God accompanied him. On March 25th, 1912, he embarked from Alexandria for America. He made a long tour in almost all the more important cities of the United States and Canada. On Saturday, December 14, 1912, the master, Abdu'l-Bahá, arrived in Liverpool from New York. He stayed there for two days. On the following Monday, December 16, 1912, he arrived in London. There he stayed till January 21, 1913, when His Holiness went to Paris. During his stay in London, he visited Oxford, where he and his party, of Persians mainly, were the guests of Professor and Mrs. Chain, Edinburgh, Clifton, and Woking. It is fitting to notice here that the audience at Oxford, though highly academic, seemed to be deeply interested, and that Dr. Carpenter made an admirable speech. On January 6, 1913, Abdul-Bahá went to Edinburgh, and stayed at Mrs. Alexander White's. In the course of these three days, he addressed the Theosophical Society, the Esperanto Society, and many of the students, including representatives of almost all parts of the East. He also spoke to two or three other large meetings in the bleak but receptive northern Athens. It is pleasant to add that here, as elsewhere, many seekers came and had private interviews with him. It was a fruitful season, and he then returned to London. On Wednesday, January 15, 1912, he paid another visit to Clifton and in the evening spoke to a large gathering at 8.30 p.m. at Clifton Guesthouse. On the following day, he returned to London. On Friday, January 17th, Abdu'l-Bahá went to the Mohammedan Mosque at Woking. There, in the Mohammedan Mosque, he spoke to a large audience of Mohammedans and Christians, who gathered there from different parts of the world. On January 21st, 1913, this glorious time had an end. He started by express train for Paris from Victoria Station. He stayed at the French capital till the middle of June, addressing 
by the help of his interpreter all sorts and conditions of men once more paris proved how thoroughly it deserved the title of city of ideas during this time he visited stuttgart budapest and vienna at budapest he had the great pleasure of meeting arminius von berry who had become virtually a strong adherent of the cause will the master be able to visit india he has said himself that some magnetic personality might draw him will the brahmaists be pleased to see him at any rate our beloved master has the requisite tact could indians and english be really united except by the help of the baha'is the following tablet epistle was addressed by the master to the baha'is in london who had sent him a new year's greeting on march twenty first nineteen fourteen quote, he is god o shining baha'is your new year's greeting brought infinite joy and fragrance and became the cause of our daily rejoicing and gladness thanks be to god that in that city which is often dark because of cloud mist and smoke such bright candles as you are glowing whose emanating light is god's guidance and whose influencing warmth is as the burning fire of the love of god this your social gathering on the great feast is like unto a mother who will in future beget many heavenly feasts so that all eyes may be amazed as to what effulgence the true sun of the east has shed on the west how it has changed the occidentals into orientals and illumined the western horizon with the luminary of the east then in thanksgiving for this great gift favour and grace rejoice ye and be exceeding glad and engage ye in praising and sanctifying the lord of hosts hearken to the song of the highest concourse and by the melody of abha's kingdom lift ye up the cry of ya baha'u'l abha so that abdul baha and all the eastern baha'is may give themselves to praise of the loving lord and cry aloud most pure and holy is the lord who has changed the west into the east with lights of guidance upon you all be the glory of the most glorious one End quote. alas the brightness of the day has been darkened for the bahai brotherhood all over the world words fail me for the adequate expression of my sorrow at the adjournment of the hope of peace yet the idea has been expressed and cannot return to the thinker void of results the estrangement of races and religions is only the fruit of ignorance and their reconciliation is only a question of time sursum corda end of section nineteen end of part four biographical and historical ambassador to humanity recording by nicholas james bridgewater recorded in oxford england